0: I'm Don Mortensen, Associate Pastor here at North Haven Church. And I also want to welcome those of you who are watching on live stream. We're glad you're part of the service today. I want to welcome and I want to greet everybody and I wish you a Happy New Year. How's the New Year going? You're on day three, all right? You're not already looking forward to 2022, are you? <laughs> all right, well, I hope it's going well. Matthew, can you turn those lights up a little bit? I'm getting old and I can't see without them thank you i've entitled my sermon today 2021 for the sake of others i want to begin by reading a passage that's familiar to most of us it comes from mark chapter 12 we're going to look at verses 29 to 31. here jesus was approached by a scribe now a scribe uh, is one who copied the hebrew scriptures they would be meticulous copying those scriptures counting the letters and making sure there were no mistakes. And by the time Jesus came to earth, it was a class of men who knew the law and who opposed Jesus. So this scribe approached Jesus and trying to trick him. So he asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And here's Jesus' response. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So this morning I'm going to focus on the second part of Jesus's answer, loving your neighbor as yourself. It's a great way to start the new year. When I was teaching at Bethel Seminary, I taught a number of courses. We taught courses on church history and New Testament, Old Testament, theology. We also had a a group of courses called spiritual formation. And uh, and, and it's it's true for many courses. As you're teaching a subject matter, you need to define what that subject matter is about. So in defining spiritual formation, I used the definition uh, of Roger Mulholland. Roger Mulholland, Dr. Mulholland, was a professor at Asbury Seminary, and here is how he defines spiritual formation in in his book titled Invitation to a Journey. He said this, Spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. A process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. I really love this emphasis on why we're being conformed to the image of Christ. It's for the sake of others. It harkens back to the second part of the Jesus' answer, for the sake of others. It's a four-fold definition. I'm going to break it down into four different parts, and we'll talk about those coming up. One, it's a process, or it's a journey. It's a being, of being conformed to the image of Christ, And the fourth one, for the sake of others. First, spiritual formation, our formation spiritually is a process. There's a very, it's a very important place to begin. As in most endeavors, as we learn, change, and grow, it's a process. The fact that it is a process is one of the difficult aspects of our ability to make changes in our lives. I do believe that most of us have, uh, have been ready for this new year to begin. You heard a lot of talk about that, didn't you? I'm looking, I'm looking forward to 2021. I hope it's not as look, the same way 2020 was. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, we're going to make changes. We're gonna make, we, we decide we're going to make a resolution. Now, I won't ask uh, you to raise your hands, but I'm sure some of you have made resolutions. I know for myself, I used to make resolution, resolutions and tell people. I don't do that anymore. Um, I make a resolution and I keep it quiet. So if Karen says you make resolutions, say no, not this year. I really did, but I don't want to tell her because why? I'm afraid, what if I don't follow through? Right? Exactly. Uh, so oftentimes we're looking at how we might change our eating habits, we might exercise more, but also how we might respond better in our relationships. There's many kinds of resolutions, but oftentimes those are at the top. According to a recent article by Forbes, Each year, millions of people around the globe make a New Year's resolution. The article went on to say, it stated that 141 million adult Americans, or 55.3 of all American adults, are convinced that they will follow through on their resolutions. Now, over the years, there's been many, many studies on resolutions following up on that, and uh, many, many of these studies seem to indicate the same thing. Only about 8% of us follow through with our resolutions. That's not a really good record, is it? I think for me, 8% is kind of (laughs) high. One of the biggest reasons for this is that oftentimes the resolutions we make aren't realistic. Uh, We've decided on doing things that probably we're not really ready to follow through on. I'm going to lose 50 pounds by spring break. I had 100 there originally, but most of you are thinking, I don't have to lose 100, but that fit for me. I'm going to the gym every day and work out for 45 minutes. Now, that sounds like a great goal, doesn't it? I'm going to, here's another one, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. How many of you made that resolution this year? Most goals can be achievable, but often we neglect to view it as a process. The need to work up to it, the need to get ready, the need to, to, to go slowly. If I'm going to work out every day in the gym for 45 minutes, I know I would not be able to do that because I haven't been in the gym. Now, that may be a surprise to a lot of you, but I haven't been in the gym, and so I need to work up slowly. A number of years ago, I joined the gym. I had never been part of a gym. I joined the gym, and they give you a um, trainer for, the, for so many hours as you start. And I'm thinking, this will be good because I'm going to start lifting weights because I'm going to buff up and I'm getting old and it's good for your bones and I'm going to do this. So I go to the gym and he says, we're going to work on your core. I remember thinking, work on my core? I came here to lift weights, right? Well, you need to work on your core because that's where your strength comes from. So he had me do these core exercises. And I thought, you know, they were kind of difficult, but I did them the next day. Have you ever done this? I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't sit up out of a chair. I hadn't worked up to it. I mean, I couldn't even begin to lift weights because my body wasn't ready for it. So my idea of going to the gym, I didn't go to the gym for about a week because I couldn't really stand. The idea of this being a process is something that we got to understand that if we're going to be successful in any any endeavor, we have to look at it as a journey, as a process. Many of our staff members remember uh, about three years ago. Daryl was gone, and we, and we were still looking for new pastors before Pastor Adam came. And I was at a conference with uh, World Vision, and one of the staff members of World Vision was someone we've known for years. And he came up to me and said, Don, so we're going to get a group of people next year to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. I'd like you to join us. So what was my response? Fantastic. I'm in. Sign me up. I've got a year to get ready. Now, that probably is realistic. Maybe not for me, realistic, but for most people, if you had a year to get ready, is realistic. So it's busy. It's a hard time. Daryl's gone. We're kind of doing everything, uh, trying to make sure everything stays afloat. And three months go by, and I go, well, that's okay. I've got nine months to get ready, right? <laughs> a little while later, I look, wow, I got six months before we go. Uh, I don't, and then it's like four months, and I realized there's no way. I'm not going to. Re- I did a workshop, I was asked to do a workshop, Sherry and I, my wife Sherry, down at, um, oh, I, I can't remember the, name, the, the church that uh, Alex just went to. What's the name of that church? What's that? No, he went to. Um, Westwood. You went to Westwood Church down in Chaness, and I was asked; We were asked to do a workshop there on marriage, so we went down there. And they've got a big building, and we were in the lower level. And I had like four months to go before I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and I was coming up the stairs from the lower level to the main level, and I was puffing just getting up the stairs. And I said, how am I going to go to climb Mount Kilimanjaro when I can't even climb a flight of stairs? So that's where we realize that that this whole idea of process is very important. And that's also true for our spiritual formation. Here are some of the things I would hear sometime. I'm going to read through the Bible twice this year and pray for an hour every day. Now, that's a wonderful goal. The goal isn't bad, right? But if we haven't been reading the scriptures if we haven't spent time with god in prayer we probably won't go many days where we're reading uh the bible so we can get through it twice in a year and then we're praying for an hour a day we need to start out saying i'm going to read the bible my goal is i'm going to read the bible five days out of the week and i'm going to pray for five minutes maybe work up to ten minutes because the process of 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 this relationship i'm creating with god begins to happen over time and, and we're not all of a sudden go from having no spiritual formation activities in our life, no spiritual disciplines, to all of a sudden being able to do things that are way beyond uh, our imagination. Here are some passages that speak to the idea that it's a process. Ephesians chapter 4. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every, in every respect the mature body of him who is the Lord, that is Christ. Paul's telling us what? This is a process. This is a journey. We will grow to become. I think we'd like to think, boy, wouldn't it be nice if I could just get zapped by the Holy Spirit and I was there. But it's like exercise, like eating, it's like whatever. We need to discipline ourselves in the process. It's like a couple verses earlier in 4.13. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of, of, God, of Christ until we all reach. We're in a, in a journey. We're all involved in this process. So I'm not sure about you, but there have been times I've thought, I'm not, over the years, I'm not really um, pleased with my relationship with God and how I've allowed him to, to enter my life. So I've got big plans for this year. And maybe at times I bite off more than I, I can chew and I make these resolutions, make these commitments to God, and then two or three weeks later, I'm not doing it anymore. And what do I do? Instead of enjoying the process and learning how to gradually get into that, I just say, Uh, ah, this is too hard. And we quit. And maybe that's happened to you at times. This concept of process or journey is difficult for many of us because it moves against the grain of our instant gratification culture now those of you who have ever done a short term missions trip or been overseas for any amount of time especially in uh, uh, third world countries you realize that you may think i don't need things done immediately I'm, I'm i don't have instant gratification when you go to other countries you realize wow we really do live in a culture where we expect things to be done immediately if i'm driving it takes me 15 minutes to get home and if i'm going down 694 there's a guy in front of me going slow, I usually don't say, well, this is a great time for me just to just sit back and relax and enjoy the journey. <laughs> I find myself losing patience, right? I want to get home. And I find, I, I, I probably, instead of getting home in 15 minutes, it took me 15 minutes and 20 seconds, right? How about getting on your computer? What if your computer is starting up slow? Those of you who are old enough in this service, remember when we first started with AOL? It took forever to get on. Now, if I'm it's 20 seconds, I'm thinking, what's wrong with my computer? So we certainly live in an instant gratification culture, and the idea of process, of sitting with God, of enjoying this process, enjoying his presence is something that we have a hard time with. Once we understand spiritual formation as a process, then we realize that what? All of life becomes spiritual formation. We're forming, being formed spiritually over everything we do. The second aspect of this definition, a process of being conformed. This is not the same as conforming ourselves, which is much more comfortable. The difference between conforming ourselves and being conformed is control. Now, I want to ask, again, for for you to raise your hands. I'll raise mine. How many of you like to be in control? Isn't that something we like to be in control? Now, we don't want to admit that, right? Or have you ever had someone tell you, you're very controlling, right? We like to control our lives. We like to be able to manage our lives well. And control is important. So how is that when it comes to our spiritual formation? Our constant struggle with the issue of control is a critical aspect of our formation spiritually, our spiritual journey. Here's what we might say. I don't mind spiritual formation or becoming more like Christ, as long as I can be in control of it. Meaning, as long as I can set the limits and the pace and the direction. For me to think, I'm not controlling this. I'm. Not, I, I, it's not a process of me becoming more like Christ. It's a process of allowing myself to be conformed, to let the Holy Spirit conform me. That's a scary thought, isn't it? because now God is in control, and he's working me. You go, wow, that could mean a lot. He may expect something from me that uh, I'm not ready for. So I'd rather be in control of that. Am I willing to let God, let the Holy Spirit take control? In reality, there's nothing we can do to transform ourselves into persons who love and serve as God does except make ourselves available to god to do that work in our and that transforming in our lives here's a couple passages i want to look at in jesus's ministry right jesus was god well certainly he could control himself right but what did jesus do jesus emptied himself he uh subjected himself to the will of the father it's like in matthew chapter 3 Here's where Jesus started his ministry when he was first baptized. As, Jesus, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and in that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending uh, like, an ant- like a dove and alighting on him. The Spirit of God was now saying, Now I, you need to relinquish your control, and God is saying, My Spirit will direct you. Jesus didn't say, you know, I am really can handle this. You know, I know I'm human, but I'm God. He emptied himself and loved God to have control. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am very pleased. Then in the next chapter over, Jesus is in the desert being tempted. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go to the, the desert and kind of see what's going on out there. He went to the desert. Why? Because he was controlled by the Spirit of God. The Spirit led him into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, right? He didn't say, I'm not hungry. I can handle this. I'm tough. He said it's written in Scripture, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God is the one who conforms me if I let him into his image. Jesus subjected himself to the will of the Father. Many of of us work from the assumption that we alone are in control of our spirituality. I'm not sure we really think about it. We just kind of operate on that assumption. We assume we are in control of our relationship with Christ. Now, in a sense, we are. We have to be willing to, to uh, say, I want to uh, follow God. I have to, make, I have to uh, allow God to work. I have to, I have to make a decision that I want to be part of this, but I have then have to turn that over to Christ. This concept of being conformed moves against the grain of our do-it-yourself culture and our powerful need to be in control of our existence. Okay, the third aspect of our definition, a process of being conformed, what? We're being conformed to the image of Christ. We are created to be like Christ. Galatians 5, a lot of you remember this, uh, towards the end of the chapter, tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, the outward expressions of our being in His likeness, are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me read those again. We know that we are becoming like Christ and we're experiencing or exhibiting the spirits of the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit when we show love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How am I able to measure how well I'm being con- uh, conformed while looking at those characteristics? That tells me. And when I'm not loving, when I'm not kind, when I'm not gentle... I don't have self-control. It shows me that I'm still in the process of becoming more like Christ. We must give God permission to do the work God wants to do with us because transformation will not be forced upon us. When we do give uh, God this permission to control our journey, we begin to experience the reality of being conformed to the image of God, the image of Christ. The Bible uh, speaks uh, often of being conformed to Christ. I'm just going to look at a couple passages. 2 Corinthians says, And we all who with veiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. Now, it doesn't say, I'm choosing to be transformed. It's saying, I'm allowing what? I'm allowing the spirit in my life to what? I'm being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is a Spirit. Ephesians 4, 13, we read that earlier, but I want to look at the last part of the verse now. Until we, all really, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Spirit of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Colossians 3, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and knowledge, in the image of its creator. That's our mission. That's our goal. That's who God wants us to become, wants to become more like Christ. This element of being uh, created in the image of God moves against, the gra- uh, moves against the grain of our self-actualized culture. We would like to create, think about this, we'd rather create God in our image. If I could just create God in a way that's comfortable for me, if I could just create God in a way that really makes my life, my culture, my home, my family look the way I'd like it to, I like that. But to say, I'm going to empty myself, and I'm going to allow you to conform me, there could be major changes. And when we like to be in control, that's a scary place to be. So it's important to realize that, yeah, it's a process, and we're letting, we're letting the Holy Spirit work on us. Why? So that we can become like Christ. The fourth aspect of the definition, and really was the heart of what we're talking about today, uh, a process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Why? For the sake of others. Everything that God has done, is doing, and will ever do in our lives to be conformed to the image of Christ is not so that we may someday be set up up in a display case in heaven as trophies of his grace. Now, you look at someone like Cedric. Cedric's in here. Okay, there he is over there. You know, he is the chair of our deacon or our elder board, right? And if anybody's gonna be a trophy in heaven, it's Cedric. (laughs) And we'll go up there someday to heaven and we'll go past the trophy case and we'll see all these people and there'll be there'll be Cedric. But that isn't what God's doing. He's not creating us to be trophies. He's not creating us for ourselves. He's creating us to be allowing him to be conformed, to conform us to the image of Christ. Why? So that we can serve others, so we can love others. That's the purpose. Uh, Think about our spiritual gifts. We talk about spiritual gifts often in in our churches, and we know that when we begin to follow Christ, we are given spiritual gifts, at least one spiritual gift. Many of us, most of us, more than one spiritual gift. And we don't choose those. Some gifts are more demonstrative, right? You see more. I've, I've said, I, I, you listen to Alyssa and Dave, and you go, that's the gift I would like. I love their voices. I love music. I want God to give me that voice. But why am I desiring that? Scripture tells us not to desire gifts. Because the gifts aren't given for my benefit, right? They're not given to me so that I can shine and look good. The reason that Alyssa and Dave and all of the rest of you who are... Involved in church uh, services, God gives us those gifts what? For others. To serve others, to love others, to care for others, to support others, support the fellowship. Becoming like Christ should be our life's pursuit the pursuit to live our lives for the other, for the sake of the other. aspect of for the sake of others moves against the grain of privatized and individualized religion and the deep-seated belief that spiritual life is a matter between me and God. I couldn't tell you how many times over the years people have sat in my office and will talk about issues and problems they're going through and ask them about their faith and ask them about their connection to a faith community They say, well, you know, I, I, I don't go to church. It's just between me and God. Well, in a sense, there's some truth there, right? I need to be right with God. But God has created us to be in fellowship and communion. It's not just about me and God. It's about me and the gifts God's given me and how I'm becoming like Christ so that what? So that I can serve others. Not so that it's just me and God alone, but so that I can be reaching out and serving and loving others, as Christ did. Here are two of many passages that talk about loving others. First John chapter 2. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. and Anyone who loves a brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. That's pretty clear, isn't it? There's not a lot of wiggle room there. 2 Thessalonians, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing. There's a process, right? Your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. We're learning to love and care for each other. That's what God wants for us. Uh, one of the gentlemen I worked with, Beth, when I worked at the college before I went to the seminary, was James. Did you know James Heard, Dr. Hurd? And uh, he's a wonderful man. I was reading a post he had one, uh, on, on uh, social media recently, and he said he had three points. Number one, pray for the hungry. Number two, feed the hungry. Number three, that's how prayer works. I thought, isn't that true? How about loving others? We can pray for the lonely. We can pray for the sick. We can pray for the broken. But then we need to come alongside and support and care for and nurture. Prayer is important. But God wants us out there loving each other as he did. And that's how loving others, living for others works. That's how being conformed to the image of Christ works. We're going to move into communion this morning, and uh, we're going to start the new year. I think it's great to start the new year with communion. Those of you at home, this would be a good time to find elements to use for communion so you can share with us together. When it comes to serving others, I'd like you to listen to this. Christ is the one who gave himself totally, completely, absolutely, and unconditionally for others. I'm going to read that again. If we're becoming conformed to the image of Christ, Christ is the one who gave himself totally, completely, absolutely, and unconditionally for others, for us. As we follow the story of Jesus, we see that Jesus preferred working with broken people in a broken world. Jesus calls himself, what? The bread of life. And he becomes the bread of life as a broken life, a broken body, a broken loaf. So the bread we break is sharing in the brokenness of Christ's body. It is not the whole loaf that represents Jesus as the bread of life. It's the broken loaf. For the earliest Christian communities, the celebration of this remembrance meal was a remembrance of brokenness. His body broken for the sake of the world, not uh, for the sake of the world and for the sake of others. As we take communion together, it is not this church you are coming to, it is not this building that you're coming to. You're coming to the fellowship of brokenness where all are welcome. We come to celebrate and remember what Christ has done for us Christ, the suffering servant, the broken one, who ascended into his glory. With his wounds still visible. The wafer that represents the broken bread we are about to share brings all of us, brings all of our brokenness together. Where together we recognize a living Christ. We recognize Jesus, not by his muscles, but by his scars. It's a broken bread we share, it's a broken broken life we live. Because not only bread but life itself can really only be shared when it's broken. So this is not the case of the perfect church welcoming perfect people to communion together. We are all marked by sinfulness and failure, and we are all here to to uh, we're all here for the sake of others. If we have to be perfect to share this communion together, not many of us will make it but we can find God's healing and wholeness here. So I invite you to share communion together, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because of any goodness of your own, but because you need mercy and help from God and from others as well. Come because you love the Lord a little and you would like to love him more. Come because he loves you and gave himself for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have called you have called us to be a people for your own self. And so help us to unify in spirit and in purpose to do the things you have appointed us to do. And this includes partaking and participating in your communion as a body. Since this is your body the church, we know that you are present with us. Your body broke broken and your blood shed for a once and for all sacrifice. We are overwhelmed by such amazing grace that we cannot even express it in words or prayers. We thank you, Lord, for this bread and this cup. And now, in a spirit of unity, we all partake and give you the glory for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So take your wafer if you're here or your bread if you're home. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with the disciples and he took bread and he broke it and said, this bread, this broken bread represents me, my broken body that I have shed. I've broken this for you. Whenever you eat it, remember me. And then after supper, he took the cup the same way. He said, "This cup represents my blood, my body, which was my body broken, my my blood shed for you." Jesus is saying to you, "I love you, and I forgive you." Take the cup together. As you leave the sanctuary today, we'll be collecting an offering, a benevolent offering. What do we use that? benevolent offering for, for others. We collect a benevolent offering for the sake of others. That's why we do that. Join me as we pray. Father, may we join you in the process of allowing your spirit to conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may love others, serve others, and reflect your grace to others. In Christ's name. Amen. Happy New Year. Have a great week.